This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. It's Wednesday, April 22nd. It is becoming increasingly clear that Democrats and Republicans have different approaches to dealing with the repercussions of COVID-19. Many in the GOP want to begin to reopen the economy, while the Democrats still want to pursue social distancing. This rift is playing out in Congress, where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today backed away from a plan to allow representatives to vote remotely by permitting one member to cast a ballot for a colleague because Republicans opposed it. The House has not met in person in almost a month because of concerns about spreading the virus. In cooperation with GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, Pelosi said the House would instead seek a bipartisan plan to get back to work. We begin tonight with CQ Roll Call's Catherine Tully McManus, who is following this. For weeks, Democratic leaders in the House have faced pressure from their caucus to implement some type of remote voting procedure so members who cannot travel due to the coronavirus can still vote on important legislation. They settled on proxy voting, which would allow a member who can't physically be at the Capitol to designate another lawmaker to cast a vote for them on the House floor. The plan faced serious pushback from Republicans. A resolution to change the House rules and allow for this proxy voting was released at 2 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, and a vote was planned for Thursday. Hours later, House Democrats scrapped a plan to vote this week on a temporary change to the House rules to allow for proxy voting during the coronavirus pandemic. Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced on Wednesday that after a conversation with Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a bipartisan group of lawmakers would be tasked with reviewing remote voting and voting by proxy, in addition to facing the challenges posed by reopening the House for business amid the ongoing public health crisis. Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, along with McCarthy, will both be part of the group, along with top lawmakers on the Rules Committee and the House Administration Committee. One of the main complaints from Republicans about the proxy voting plan is that they weren't part of the process in developing it. This group aims to ensure that input from both sides of the aisle is considered when considering opening the House for business and proxy or remote voting plans in the future. Meanwhile, many lawmakers are already making their way back to Washington for multiple votes scheduled for Thursday. The House is set to vote on a $483 billion economic relief measure that would replenish the small business loan program and provide funding for hospitals that are facing financial shortfalls due to COVID-19. The House will also vote to formally establish a coronavirus select committee, which will examine all aspects of the federal response to the virus, including where all these federal aid dollars are headed. The stock market rallied today, and oil prices came back up after a dramatic decline earlier this week. Energy reporter Elvina Nawaguna has more. Oil prices have been falling for the last several weeks, and on Monday, prices fell to the negatives for the first time in history. Even though they've picked up, they still remain very low. The problem started with a price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia, which both decided to flood the markets with 
so much oil at a time when demand was already weak because of the coronavirus pandemic. So there's so much oil right now in the markets that companies are running out of storage. For oil state lawmakers, that means trouble for their local economies and job losses for their constituents. Those lawmakers right now are pushing for Congress to approve $3 billion for the Department of Energy to buy some of the excess oil and store it in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is the national crude oil stockpiles. They want such a provision to be included in a coming coronavirus relief bill, uh, but they would have to face pushback from Democrats who want to limit the use of fossil fuels and argue that all all companies already enjoy uh, billions in tax breaks. Then they would also face pushback from some farm state lawmakers who would rather support plant-based fuels such as corn-based ethanol. Right now, it's not clear if uh, that provision will be included in the next stimulus bill. Uh, It certainly wasn't included in the bill that the Senate passed on Tuesday. In the meantime, the Department of Energy has started the process of trying to lease some of the space in in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for oil companies to store their excess oil. And finally this evening, COVID-19 has depleted county coffers by a quarter as sales tax and other revenues dry up. We spoke to Matt Chase, chief executive of the National Association of Counties, who shared a very sobering outlook. Teachers, police officers, firefighters, and many other government employees are likely to lose their jobs. Welcome, Matt. We appreciate you joining the show. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be on with you. Matt, you represent local governments across the country. Can you quantify for our listeners the strain that they are under right now? The strain that state and local governments, and in our case, county governments are under, is really unprecedented. It is already surpassing what we witnessed during the 2008 recession. We've already quantified that we're looking at budget shortfalls of about $144 billion. This doesn't even account for loss in state funding or what could happen on our property tax. This is simply just looking at decline in sales tax and other user taxes like gasoline taxes, mortgage transactions, occupancy taxes from hotels, and other types of user fees that we usually generate. The $144 billion, give us a, a sense. How much of the whole is that? Well, county budgets each year, if you took them all together, the 3,069 counties is around $600 billion. So you're looking at $144 billion out of $600 billion. And while we're talking these big numbers, let me just paint a picture of who works for a county government. Out of our 3.61 million employees, so over 1% of Americans actually work for county governments We have 1,000 hospitals with 315,000 hospital workers and nurses, doctors, and other folks. We have 800 long-term care facilities or nursing homes. Of our employees, we have 363,000 sheriffs, police, EMTs, and even what we call the last of the first responders, our coroners and medical examiners. These are the folks that literally are processing the 44,000 dead Americans from COVID-19. So we literally are on the front lines. 
your member counties are required to balance their budgets, correct? How are they going to do that? Well, most of them are required to balance their budget or they have to go borrow money. And how they're going to do it is they're going to have to cut back services. The thing that we're really pushing Congress to understand is at the county level, we are the local safety net provider. We actually administer federal programs. We administer over 40% of all the food stamp or SNAP programs for food nutrition. We are the ones that are the area agencies on aging that serve the elderly. We're the ones that provide child protective services. One of the most unfortunate things from this whole pandemic is as kids are out of school, we are seeing spikes in domestic violence. It's counties that actually provide those child protective services through our caseworkers, through our district attorneys, public defenders, through our sheriffs. And so when we have to cut budgets, people will die and people will get hurt. You mentioned the vital workers who work for county governments. Are their jobs really in danger? Absolutely. We're starting to see counties have to furlough workers. We are paying extraordinary amounts of overtime and also hazard pay. Uh, One of the things that we need folks to understand is in 2008, during the recession, the recovery would have been stronger, except for state and local governments were really the lagging indicators in the recovery. We lost a quarter of our public health workforce since 2008. Counties have had to cut over 50,000 public health workers since 2008 due to CDC budget cuts. And what we're telling Congress is let's learn from our past mistakes where we really gutted the core funding for a lot of state and local services, including public health. And instead we started funding crisis by crisis. In public health, we started funding just Ebola, just H1N1, just Zika, the list goes on and on. And then recently we funded just opiates and the substance abuse problem. Rather than focus on let's build community resilience, let's build public health ecosystems, and let's really be prepared as a nation. Instead, we're chasing the the latest shiny object, and we see the consequences of that. Is it possible that if the federal government provides assistance, some of those job cuts could be avoided? Absolutely. First of all, Congress has provided incredible levels of funding to the broader economy. Some of the money will trickle down to counties, but not at the scale that we're talking about. That we were hoping for the Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi deal where they were going to provide $150 billion for state and local governments that was going to include lost revenue. Most of the money that Congress has appropriated so far has to be tied to a direct expense related to COVID-19. It won't help us with our revenue shortfalls. So I'll take the county of Los Angeles alone. They're projecting sales tax loss of $1.5 billion this year and into the beginning of next year. They use that sales tax revenue to help the homeless for child protective services, for food nutrition, for a lot of general human services. And for those Americans who are now unemployed, the counties actually are that local social, social safety net that helps them tap into different state and local programs, as well as federal services, but they're also essential in helping them connect back to private sector jobs. Okay, as early as tomorrow, Congress may pass a fourth coronavirus 
relief bill. President Trump's expected to sign it. Is there anything in that legislation that will help counties with this situation? Well, first of all, we're, we're very disappointed that state and local governments were left behind. At the same point, we were very supportive of Congress providing aid for small businesses and for hospitals. Counties own over a thousand hospitals. So the hospital aid will definitely help us. We want to make sure some of that money flows to public hospitals. The previous money didn't flow to public hospitals as much as we would like. On the small business side, if our small businesses can hang on, that obviously will help local economies. And in fact, many counties are creating our own small business funds to help those who were left behind in earlier aid packages, particularly those that aren't in the traditional banking system and women in the minority. But as far as the general package and what it did for state and local governments, we were left behind. And there were many reasons. One of the things that we are most disappointed about is this false narrative that if state and local governments were given more aid from the federal government, we would be slower to open our economies. Every local elected official in America wants to reopen their economy. There's not one elected official who is happy about having to put public health before the economy. But when you're a local elected official and you're given a choice, do you want to reopen the economy or do you want to watch your residents die? And that, that's a tough moral choice. Do you blame the Republicans in Congress for that? Many of them have taken that position that they don't want to bail out, they say, the, the states and the counties. Well, you know, we're disappointed. And what is interesting is we get federal mandates passed on us on a regular basis. The vast majority of the county budget is actually tied to federal and state mandates. We're actually the ones on the ground delivering federal services. And so it's interesting that they're willing to mandate and force us to do all these things, but they don't want to pay for it. Well, there is talk, correct, of another coronavirus relief bill coming down the pike. Are you more hopeful that maybe it will include funding for local governments? We are definitely hopeful that we are starting to see in the last 24 hours, we saw the president of the United States tweet out that this is now among his priority list. We're seeing the Secretary of the Treasury, who's really been a lead negotiator, start to talk about the need for state and local spending. And so we are more optimistic. <clears throat> we are really pleased to see Senator Cassidy put out a bill with Senator Menendez. We're starting to see bipartisanship. Last night, we saw Senator Portman and Senator Brown from Ohio send out a joint letter stressing the importance of state and local aid. And so that's a real pivot in the last 24 to 48 hours is you're starting to see this as a bipartisan demand. Is timeliness important here for the counties? Absolutely. Our folks are cash flowing a lot of federal money. We are out there buying PPE. We are the ones out there setting up testing facilities. Just as an example, Harris County, which is the Houston area, has built a field hospital that's costing them about $75 million a month to stand up. The federal government authorized them to do between 250 to 500 tests a day for a county that's over 4 million people and surrounding a greater region with, with many more folks than that. 
And so the county went out and set up its own testing with some of the private and public sector hospitals, incredibly expensive. And even if the federal government does reimburse us, the county is putting that cash out there in advance. And in many cases, we're having to go borrow it from either private sector banks or the municipal bond market. And it's costly to go out there and borrow this money. Matt Chase, we appreciate you coming on our show. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you again. That's our CQ on Congress coronavirus special report for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow with the latest. For all of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, I'm Sean Zeller.